You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Let me segue now to uh, the champs. Edinburgh High School. Congratulations to our cheerleaders from Edinburgh High School. They won the NCAA National Championship, they say, for 10 years in a row now. And we welcome to the program Coach Eva. Eva Guerra is coach of the champs. Congratulations, Coach. And Have you been with this program for all these years? Have they been national champs? Hi, yes. I have been here for 12 years, and I'll make a clarification. So my first year was 2012-2013, uh, and that was the first year we won our first championship. And um, there was, um, in the last, it's been 12 years now, so in the last 12 years, we've won 10 times. Excellent. Well, what did you do uh, to crack the whip <laughs> to get these kiddos to, to win that national cheerleading championship? Our, our last five years have been in a row. Uh, and I'll tell you that um, since I uh, started here, it's gotten harder and harder every single year. But every year we um, we learn. Uh, we learn, and of course, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication and commitment uh, from not only the athletes, but from their parents and from um, us as coaches and our administration supporting us through it all. Yeah. And every year we build upon it and try our very best to get better and better every year. How big is the troop, uh, the the team? I would have called them the, the the squad. How how, how big is the the cheerleader squad, the the championship squad? Every year it varies. Uh, we're able to carry thirty. Um, some years we've been able to carry forty. This year we had twenty five, and uh, we we had seventeen of those twenty five girls take the mat um, and win that championship this past weekend. Is there a is that the number you, you need to put 17 on the floor? Is there like a minimum number that you can put on the um, floor? There, so the maximum number is 30. Um, and there, the min, there's really no minimum number. Uh -huh. um, but it's all based on it, strategizing as a coach to, um, to get your best numbers on that score sheet. Uh -huh. So you just like um, an athletic coach who who strategizes, you know, to get as many points on the board. It's the same concept, trying to get as many points on that score sheet as possible based on the skills that we're able to do. We congratulate from Edinburgh High School, our cheerleader squad. For 10 years, they have won the national championship, the NCAA national championship, the past five years in a row. Our guest right now, head coach uh, Eva, Eva Guerra, is our guest and um d is the judging all done just based on difficulty of routine the athleticism or do they take into account like i don't know like like which which squad gets everybody all riled up and enthusiastic they want to go out and like burn down city hall or something like that like <laughs> we got to kick we got to kick something right is enthusiasm part of it or is it all just physical and uh, and, and how it's, difficult that is at mca Yes, enthusiasm is part of it in the sense that they are looking for showmanship and performance uh, etiquette by the girls, but it is based on athleticism. Yes. Who does the most flips and tumbling passes? Who does Man. the harder stunts? Who is just doing more um, skills, cheerleading skills, from the moment the music goes on to the moment the music goes off? Yeah. 
and who does them the best. Describe for me best year. And that we, you know, I think most of us have, have seen online, maybe even in school or we have kids in high school, we've seen some of these routines and they're amazing athletes and the routines that they do look really, really hard and kind of scary. To be honest with you, it, it looks um, – it looks pretty scary when they, they throw these girls way up into the air and then they catch them and, you know, it's, it's, it looks pretty complicated. But describe for me, how, the, how long is it, like in, in minutes? How long does it need to be? And what are, like, some of the standard flips or tosses or, you know, like they do in gymnastics, right? You need to do a double flip here, uh, pirouette over there, something like that. Is it like a minimum uh, a standard set of physical you know, expressions we need to get on the floor and, and how long is the routine? So the routine itself is two and a half minutes and uh, there's um, a portion of music where we do skill, um, tumbling passes, standing tumbling, running tumbling, uh, elite stunts and stunts. And then there's a one minute cheer. And in that one minute cheer, um, the coach gets to, the coach and the choreographers get to decide what elements they place into that too to give their routine more value. So we always jump and tumble in that section as well, and we do our pyramid. Um, our Bobcat the cheer pyramid. program is very well known to have the best stunts, and that's one of the specialty skills that we always get. Uh, we are very elite stunters. Um, that's like when you pick people up in the air. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the routine is two and a half minutes. The final 15 seconds are usually our, our dance part where we showcase, you know, the intricate formations and um, <laughs> dance and motion and motion techniques. I'm not guessing there's – I'm guessing there's not going to be like any hokey pokey or cumbias there at the end. It's all pretty intense. Of uh, course te- not. Techno. One year we did dance to Chakirado because <laughs> we, are, we are from the valley and sense? we embrace – uh-huh. Our Latina, uh, our Latinas. Uh, so we did dance to Chakira one okay. year. That was in 2016. Uh, well. um, but now there's a lot of rules that we have to follow as far as um, music licensing. Um, so our oh, music okay. is uh, made by Eric Rodriguez, and he goes into a music studio with uh, professional equipment and professionals where they. Um, they rap our lyrics. They make lyrics specific for the Edinburgh Bobcats. Wow. And uh, they they put it all together. It's just a wonderful piece of art. <laughs> um, and everybody in in that arena at the national championship always looks forward to our music because it is tip-top. That's like, very tip-top. interesting, yeah. Head coach, cheer, Bobcat cheerleader team, head coach Eva Guerra, uh, the kids are fresh home from their tenth uh, national championship, uh, NCAA national championship. Uh, do you have one group, one team that is the thorn in the side, the nemesis? It's like the Philadelphia Eagles to the Cowboys uh, that you see every single year up there. That always uh, you look forward to competing against. So throughout the years, it's been different teams. It, this competition is at a national level, so we get teams from all over the country. Uh, but since the competition is held in Dallas, uh, we do have um, many teams from the larger, more populated cities like San Antonio and Houston that are usually a big um, competitor for us every year. Last year was Ronald Reagan High School, and this year it was uh, Cypress Ranch from the Houston area. 
and uh, Stratford High School from the Houston area. Um, and they, they are tough competition. Um, they are uh, good cheerleaders, and they, they put out a good product every single year. <laughs> so we respect them for everything that they do. Um, I, I do want to add, um, their coaches are so uh, gracious, I guess is the word, uh-huh. um, to always, you know, make it a point to come and, and tell me that it's an honor to compete against the best Oof. of the best. Oof. Oh, that <laughs> is awesome. Yeah, because of the legacy that we have built, yeah. there is no other high school in the country that owns 10 national championships and much less in I'm getting the span of 20 years with one single coach. Congratulations, so, man. That is a high honor. When you got Houston and San Antonio coach coming and congratulating you, telling you, man, we're just happy to be in the same building you are. Happy to compete with you. Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, congr- and, and I say it very yeah. humbly. I say yeah. very humbly. Um, I, I come, you know, every major accomplishment starts off with a small beginning and um i am an alumni of this school and i did cheer here for this program and i'm just that girl that fell in love with it at five years old you know and it just become something so beautiful that so many people uh really look up to and respect and i'm very humbled and what's, grateful what's the ratio girls to boys on your team so uh, in the 12 years that I've been the coach here, we have always been a co-ed cheer program for the exception of this year and last year. Last year was the first year that I competed with all girls, and this year was the second year. And it looks like it'll be the last because tonight we have our uh, tryout meeting, and I already have um, one boy that signed up to come to our tryout meeting tonight. <laughs> Just one dude. So we will go back to the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So usually I've never had more than four boys uh-huh. on my in my program. No, and the reason I um, ask you, Coach, is because when you have the pyramid and throwing and all that, I would think that maybe you need some like a, a strong foundation with huerquillos to hold up the huerquillas. But no, it's all huerquillas that are holding each other. Yeah, and it's all, pyramids it's and all, been all girls. And I'm going to tell you that in the last five years, I've had to change things up because things because cheerleading has become more difficult as the years go by. Yeah, so my girls are envelope. in the weight room yeah. four days a week. Hey, I, I just got they a few seconds left for the. I, I need to ask you about scholarships. And great question. Um, scholarships. Mm-hmm. Uh, what um, do they have scholarships for these kids? Can they get a full ride to some other university, or uh, uh, what happens in the so, cheerleading sport? So now that stunt, which is a new emerging female sport, and it's uh, it has a that it, it's cheerleading. Now that it has emerged and it's um, it, it's uh, gaining um, gaining forces, it now there is scholarships av- available to to kids. And um, I've had many of my athletes get full ride scholarships. I have had many of my athletes make D one schools. Uh, currently. One of my seniors from last year is on the Texas Tech team. Uh, my own daughter is on the Texas A&M competitive squad. Um, my older daughter went to go uh, cheer at Oklahoma State University. Um, I've had several kids at Navarro um, Junior College. I have one currently competing with Trinity Valley. So Navarro and Trinity Valley mm-hmm. are the, you know, the best junior colleges 
in the country. Um, they're on that Netflix series, um, Cheer. And, the, and they um, provide the scholarship, right? They pay all the schooling yes. for the kids? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. Yes. Well, I've got a, I've got a 16-year-old, uh, my oldest, at Collegiate there in Edinburgh, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, wondering if he could be like the towel boy or the water boy or just an uh, equipment manager. <laughs> for, for Actually, <laughs> now we have we have a flag crew, <laughs> and I have so they don't have to be cheerleaders the whole year, <laughs> but they could come and be a part of our flag crew. Okay, and go with us to the state championship. There we so, go. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, By all I'll, means, I'll pass the word. I'll pass on the word. <laughs> I'll tell them, like I tell them for everything. As long as you make straight A's, about the you can you can do anything. All right. <laughs> Congratulations, Coach. And we're, we're just so proud to, to speak with you. And uh, a big hug to, to your team, all the Wittkias, for, the, again, the 10th national championship for our cheerleader team thank from you, Edinburgh High School, the, the Bobcats. This is the Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Very proud to bring, welcome back to the program. Someone who's an expert in fighting homelessness. He's on the front lines of doing this in, in Southern California. Victor Angel, Victor Ankin. Vic, happy New Year to you. Hey, tell folks again what you do day-to-day to try to fight homelessness uh, on the West Coast. Happy New Year, Sergio. Yes, Thank sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Um, like you said, we're on the front lines uh, of this crisis. We go out, we serve, we set up you know, a tent, and we, we serve people by way of feet washing. We give them hygiene essentials donated by the company and or people that um, support us. Uh, this this year we actually have a schedule mapped out. So we go out once a month, and we get you know we gather friends, family, people that support and want to serve, and you know we we do this for the community uh, that that's in need. Victor and friends that are dealing with homelessness again on the West Coast and California specifically is, is where they're working. I'm bringing them to the program because there was a new report that said that homelessness in our nation was up a staggering 12 percent highest reported level we got rent that is soaring homes that are less available housing not that available and about 653,000 people were homeless the most since the country began using the yearly number tracking it in 2007 point by point so what are they telling you victor for the folks that you deal with on the west coast and we know how expensive LA is Northern California, San Francisco area, just all of California, just ridiculously expensive, and and all the regulations mm-hmm. going to housing and apartments that complicate trying to create more spaces for these folks to to live in. But what is uh, of the f- new folks that maybe you have encountered on the streets? What what's the reason? Is it inflation? Um, it can't be jobs because we keep hearing there's so many jobs available, so many job openings left and right. But then 
you know, you, you got to get there as well. Transportation, inflation. What is it? Why, why are these new folks homeless? Yeah, you know, I, I believe that well, what we hear, right, it's, it's aside from inflation, we know it's expensive, but it's even getting to the job, as you mentioned, you know, getting cleaned up, um, getting a haircut, you know, having a shower, you know, something as simple as a shower, you would, you would think that everyone has access to, but the reality is we don't. Not everyone has that, that luxury uh, to be able to shower, uh, you know, fresh set of clothes, washer, dryer, things like that. So when you find yourself down on your luck, you know, you're in that, you're in those shoes, you know, you're really struggling and really thinking about what you're going to eat that day, um, you know, whether or not you're going to be able to stay dry. So I think uh, it, it's a lot harder than it seems uh, to be living on the streets and try to, you know, pick yourself back up. But it, it all goes back to the support system, you know, having supportive family and friends. I think it's a very big big reason as to why we continue to this number keeps to increasing yeah. um so. it's it's frustrating um you know i just looking at this for 30 some odd years in in media and talking with other you know, folks that are on the front lines of dealing with poverty down here uh, there's some key decision making basic decision making because we have the assets we we have the resources in our country i i've been I've been saying for the longest time, I believe the, the body of Christ can fix the issue. I believe, look, yes. by, by proportion, in America, we are, we are so, we are blessed beyond measure, overflowing. The homeless problem is a minute, compared to the general population, is a, my, is a minute population set that if you uh-huh. were to galvanize the the you know body or so-called body anyone claimed to be the body even if you get like half of the parishes and churches and to take their assets take their good instead of investing in like say like i say like a million dollar uh, audio visual system for the mega church it's just stupid stuff like that just big buildings that we don't need take those assets put them into programs to transition for for hygiene for rest for food, for job placement, it's it's real easy. It's we we have the body. We are the ones that have been commissioned. Care for the widow, care for the orphan, clothe the naked, feed the hungry. You got prison ministries, and you got drug addicted folks that could use the help. Um, there's, it's and it's real easy. But I I I don't see any fervor, initiative, passion on, on the overwhelming majority of so-called churches and so-called ministers. It's only a remnant that's, that's working out there. And if your church is working, God bless you for that. But how of the hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of churches that we have here in Deep South Texas, I'll give you an example. We only have one family shelter, and that's the Salvation Army wow. office in wow. Hidalgo County. Isn't that crazy? And, and market after market, usually that's the same thing. That we only have like one shelter. And again, it's a Salvation Army office. Come on, people. We, we can do better. If, if you had a chance to, I don't know, just snap your fingers and change everything, to, we, we could address and eradicate homelessness and the overwhelming majority of the problems that these folks face and, 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 and get our hands dirty by cleaning their feet, washing their feet. What would you do, brother? What, what would you change? Uh, put the onus on the church again so that the government doesn't have to provide for these people? Or, you know, force the church to get off 
get out of the comfort zone, start working? Or, you know, from your perspective, you're you're dealing with it. What would you do to change yeah. things, brother? Man, that's a that's an overloaded question. But I, I think um, I think what I would do is I would I would create I would build a team. You know, because like you said, it, we're really lacking manpower. Um, you know, we're we're maybe a group of like five to ten people on on the best days. Uh, but to really create build a team and centered around community, like you said, the body uh, churches involving different churches. If if the churches were to just adopt the concept and adopt the, the, the willingness to serve in this manner, I, I believe that we can make uh, large strides in, in the right direction to helping these people and really just eradicating homelessness all in all. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's really a matter of the heart. I think people need to work on the heart. Uh, they need to, you know, the compassion for people um, needs to come back. I think we're as a, as a society, we're, we're very numb uh, we're always on our phones. You talk about the, the, the visual and the audio and, you know, the, the big buildings, all that is great. And, you know, and spreading the word, but I feel like we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to uh, human interaction, face-to-face interaction, and really just bring that level of love, hope, and uh, to the community, uh, the homeless community. Well, that's what he wanted, Christ Jesus. Yeah. And in my opinion, man, just go see what he said. And the commission given, and who he placed us in charge of to take care of. My goodness, and it can it can be done. And and thank you for what you're doing, Vic. And I hope that you're able to increase your team as you try to address this. Where do folks find you, Victor? GiveSoap.com. Uh, that's our our website. You can find us there, or you can find us on Instagram. Give dot soap. Uh, spelled the same way. S O P E at the end. Okay. Give S O P E. Give. S-O-P-E, GiveSoap.com. Thanks, Vic. Thank you, Sergio. Thank you. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Let's enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. It's so sad how cancer touches pretty much every everyone. You know someone, or maybe you, you know, fought it at one time. Cancer that, that, that scourge. Hopefully, someday in our lifetime, we will hear of a cure, some silver bullet to take it out. Meantime, we got to deal with it. We got to pay for it. It's, it's, it's expensive. My goodness. Heads up. For you, family, friends, dealing with things like breast cancer, leukemia, blood cancers of all types, there might be some potential savings in seeking care and in the fight for this. We got some legislation, D.C. legislation watchdog saying the legislation to watch is H.R. 5378. And I'm going to bring in someone who's on the front lines of, of fighting cancer. We're making friends with Brian Connell. He's vice president 
uh, Federal Affairs, watching all this legislation. He's with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Let's get a little bit of background, Brian, from you. Tell me about um, LLS, that that community that you work for. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, again, you're right here with LLS, and really we exist to find new cures for blood cancer. Um, and to your point, you know, while we're searching to find all those cures, we're also working to improve the lives of people with blood cancer everywhere, their survivors and their families. So uh, we have our, our eyes out uh, for ways that we can do that all across the country. And we really think that we've identified here, you know, a way that Texans could save a lot of money at the doctor if okay. Congress just well, tells Medicare to say to, to pay the same price for the same service. Uh, these days, the way politics is, we have very few things that Democrats and Republicans can agree on. But I understand that this H.R. 5378 might be one of those in, in the fight of cancer and fight against cancer. So can you please, best you can, for, for working people driving around town right now, can you describe uh, this loophole that this legislation hopes to close, help out hospitals, and also help out patients that are fighting cancer? Yeah, that's right. Um, I, you know, I don't think you can get a lot of Democrats or Republicans to agree that the sky's blue. So I think um, we are we're surprised uh, a little bit on uh, on the fact that we really do have a, a policy here that um, you know, just passed the House uh, with 166 Republicans, 154 Democrats in support. So by far the majority of both parties, and it really does get at uh, you know this loophole as you mentioned. Uh, a glitch in the way Medicare works. Um, hospitals, big hospital systems in particular, um, have figured out that if they buy up a doctor's office, they can charge two times, three times, even four times what the doctor had been paid before for that same service. So they are buying up these doctor's offices, they're charging patients more for the same care, um, and it makes money for the big hospitals, but it raises costs for patients and for taxpayers at the same time. Okay, so uh, the legislation hopes to put a stop to that, like prevent more consolidation, more uh, purchases by doctor groups and to purchase these clinics, or what's the objective of this legislation? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, uh, so the, the bill itself, you mentioned it's uh, H.R. 5378. Uh, it's called the Lower Cost, More Transparency Act. Uh, it really does just what it, just what it says in the title. Um, you know, the solution's not even complicated. We really just need Medicare, uh, and this is what this bill would do, has Medicare start paying the same price for the same healthcare service, regardless of who owns the, doc the office. So whether it's a doctor that owns the office or the hospital owns the office, Medicare should be paying the same price for that same service. And that way, a patient who's paying a percentage of the cost doesn't pay more, and the taxpayer doesn't pay more okay. um, when it's you know, healthcare of the same quality. This is the Again, this is Medicare. This is for retirees and, and for seniors. This only addresses, from their perspective, that, that seasoned community, uh, the pricing that is applied to them that doesn't necessarily address what insurance carriers or out-of-pocket folks pay or health share people pay at a younger age, right? Uh, it starts to get at it, I'll say. You know, one of the things in the bill would just be some transparency on where care happens. Right now it's hard for private insurers and, uh, and employers even understand where care is happening to price it differently. Um, and this bill helps to have some transparency in the way a hospitals bill so that we can know if a service is happening, you know, on the main campus downtown or if it's mm -hmm. happening at a doctor's office. Uh, and maybe they can start paying differently depending on uh, the quality of care in each of those places. Brian Connell is one of the vice presidents for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. 
He's, keep, he's keeping an eye on legislation up in D.C., and it is called H.R. 5378. From their perspective, they would like to push this legislation to try to prevent more consolidation, more hospital groups sopping up, swallowing up doctors' clinics because they believe that it's going to lead to some some savings, especially when it comes to you know what the government can control, which is the price of Medicare and retiree health care. Have you been able to, you or colleagues or anybody that's been able to to calculate, quantify and the savings and maybe give an example on how uh, an individual retiree might might save on health care if this passes? Yeah, so um, my colleagues here at Leukemia and Lymphoma Society worked with some, uh, some actuaries and number crunchers just a few months ago. And we calculated in our space, you know, again, we represent folks with blood cancer. So a patient with myeloma, which is a pretty common blood cancer, um, could be saving more than $1,200 each year if these changes were passed by Congress. And we see similar numbers, whether someone has multiple sclerosis or breast cancer, uh, lung cancer, you really see similar numbers out there, patients being able to save $1,000 or more per year uh, with certain treatment regimens that really rely on the type of services that are being paid for. And here. one thing I know so is really, really substantial. Yeah, cancer, man, one thing I know, and, and thank God, I let me knock on wood, find some wood around here. Um, Cancer medicine is real expensive. So, like, and and you, you put it out in the calendar. That's like that's like a hundred dollars in savings monthly. Uh, is it for the medicine? Is it the doctor visit or, or the savings specific that would take place if it happens? Yeah, it's really the the cost of getting the medicine at the doctor's office. Uh, you know, there's a charge for every time you go to get the medicine. So. Even if you keep the medicine at the same price, just the cost of going to the doctor, if you can really reduce that substantially, All patients right, can you know, lower their prices or the price that they pay out of pocket um, by that $1,200. So a really substantial amount for people who are really struggling to afford their health care. We, we hear patients all the time. They're really struggling to afford the really just necessary cancer care, and this would be a big help for, for them to make sure they get the care they need. All right, man. Thanks for the heads up, Brian. Pleasure meeting you with the leukemia Lymphoma Society, Brian Connell. This is the Sergio Show. From the land of Starbase, SpaceX, Brownsville, Texas. We go to La La Land, Los Angeles. Yeah, they, they launch rockets out there as well. We're going to meet a fellow space nerd, Danielle Dallas Rusa. It's a pleasure meeting you. Hey, Danielle, tell me more about backtospace.com. What is that? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on today. Um, yes. So I grew up as the granddaughter of Apollo 14 astronaut Stuart Rusa, and I used to actually work at NASA, and I noticed nice. that there was a lack of interest in space exploration. So I um, started a company called Back to Space, in which I'm using my skills, um, which is the entertainment industry, to inspire the next generation of space explorers by creating a space immersive experience that's opening in Dallas, February 29th, where mission specialists will go through a um, immersive experience in which they're gonna be dealing with real live uh, performers mixed with state-of-the-art VR, and you will feel like you're on the moon in the year 2055, and an asteroid hit the moon, and you and your team have to figure out what's going on. Excellent. With your roots, your family roots in NASA, in space exploration, the space program in our country, I bet you're super excited to see 
what's taking place in Texas. We got Starbase down here with Elon Musk in, in West Texas. We're shooting little low, uh, you know, upper atmosphere, um, little tourism rockets, and all this talk about us going back to the moon, the U.S. going back to the moon. Maybe by 2026, we'll probably kick that can down the road one more year. But we're, soon enough, we'll have a chance to, with Artemis to go back. We had a headline this week, I think it was Japan, right, that landed, had a soft landing. They sent something to the moon. Just want to get your thoughts on where we are as far as returning to the moon and your hopes and dreams for the near future for, for our kids and grandkids. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're in such an exciting time right now because we are really in the space race 2.0. I mean, last uh, last week, or sorry, this week, a few days yeah, ago, yeah. Um, Japan landed on the moon, um, and that's really exciting. And they also landed uh, right next to the Sea of Tranquility where NASA's Apollo 11 made its historic you know, moon landing. Nice. Um, so it just really proves that the moon is the place to be right now. And I think a lot of countries know that space is the ultimate high ground and whoever gets there first and starts establishing a lunar base there is really going to be the one that sets the rules for how space travel is going to operate. So that's really important that the United States stays the, as the front runner. From backtospace.com, look for the website, backtospace.com. Danielle Dallas Rusa, she's the granddaughter of one of uh, part of NASA history, Apollo 14 astronaut Stuart Rusa, and check out her website again, backtospace.com. I notice a lot of interest in space exploration, return to the moon, going to Mars. I, I don't know, but I would credit Elon Musk and SpaceX for all this new, this new generation, new excitement. What would you say, Danny? I would say that that's absolutely correct. I think what's really exciting is the United States approach to involving um, commercial space. It's, it's really important um, because it gives us more flexibility and more room for error. Uh, just to you know, kind of put it in perspective, back in the Apollo era, um, the f- total federal budget was 4%, um, and now it's 04 and that's a huge difference, and that's really constricting on what you can and can't do. And when the U.S. partners with SpaceX, it allows that uh, that room for air. You know, SpaceX is fully aware that you know when things don't space travel isn't always going to go according to plan, and they're not relying on tax money to um, accomplish their goals mm-hmm. to a certain extent because they do have a partnership with NASA. So. You know, it's complicated, but no other country is doing that. And it's really, that's going to be, I think, our saving grace in winning this next space race. Yeah, well, Elon Musk cashed in on a huge demand for payload delivery, satellites, and also all sorts of other stuff that need to be sent into space with a SpaceX and successful launch. Well, that's how they're making payroll. They're making money hand over fist, delivering all that stuff into space and helping to subsidize and pay for the potential delivery to the moon first and then... And then to Mars, I, I don't know how young you are, uh, Ms. Danny, but uh, you think you'll get a chance to maybe in your lifetime enjoy a space hotel or, or maybe visit a, a moon hotel in your lifetime? Things are moving pretty fast. I'm hoping and praying that maybe within the next couple of decades we'll get something done like that. What do you think? 
I mean, listen, if my phone ever rings and they say, do you want to go to a moon hotel? You best believe I'll be packing that day. I don't care where we are in it. I want to be able to see what my grandfather saw in space and, and keep that tradition alive of space travel. So I would absolutely do it. The only thing I want is to be able to take my dog. <laughs> I don't think he'd like the trip too much. Uh, back, back to space.com. Danielle Dallas Rusa is my guest. Have you seen SpaceX? Have you seen the, the launch pad here in, in South Texas? I have not had the privilege of going yet. I'm very familiar with the L.A. Uh, SpaceX, but I have not made my way down for you should. a launch. Yeah, you should. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, I, I actually just talked to someone who works there, and she's like, hey, you got to come to a launch. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And they're expanding. And to our, it's a blessing. You know, we, we here in South Texas, we, we see what's going on. Uh, they're expanding big time. Like, they're promising like a, a million square foot of more production for rocket production, more forward more more housing. They're working on a development for stores and restaurants nearby and a second launch pad. You, and you, you can access it unlike you know, like the NASA facilities and the military facilities. I mean, you can you can literally like walk up to the launch pad. It's that accessible. It, it'd be wonderful if you can come down here. If you do, give us a call and come visit us at visit us here at, at the studio. Again, tell me more about that North Texas event that you have coming up in February. Yeah, so it's it's so exciting because what it's doing, you know, um, growing up around Apollo astronauts, a lot of them were frustrated, especially at, you know, for example, Al Warden was a very close friend of mine. He was on Apollo 15. And um, he mentioned multiple times how he's like, you know, you look at history books and the Apollo program is just a paragraph now. We need to get kids excited. And there are all these other islands of these, small, um, and some not so small, uh, either nonprofits or companies or organizations that are trying to get people and specifically kids interested in STEM and science, technology, engineering, and math. And I just have a different approach where I think media is the way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, kids are always on their phones. You look at Star Wars and Star Trek and see how that influenced space travel to begin with. And I think the best way to get not, not just kids, but people excited and feel a part of the conversation of space exploration is through experiencing space. And that's what we're doing. So um, when you sign up for, it's called the Lunar Light Discovery, you are a mission specialist. You already have the job. And you walk in um, to our, we, we're doing this with three decked out shipping containers. So you walk into the first one and you meet uh, Jen Jack, who's there to uh, to tell you what to do. You suit up and put, put on your headset. It's the year 2055, an asteroid hit the moon. And since that, since the asteroid impact, there's a blue light that's emanating, and it's causing all electronics to shut down. You can get all so the information God. at the website, right, Danny? At backtospace.com. Yes. It's in late February. And, and sign up for it. It's a pleasure meeting you. And let's keep in touch. Danielle Dallas Rusa with backtospace.com. This is the Sergio Show. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance,
instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. I'm sure you keep up with the news. You're familiar with online postings, videos, scattered news reports. Here and there, you see really small kids, young kids being trained by Islamic terrorists. Hamas, no different. They start young and inculcating all this hate for Jews, all this hate against Israel. Ron Holloway, my guest right now, former special agent and senior advisor at the U.S. Department of State uh, for many years. Ron, welcome back to the program. Happy New Year to you. Just want to get your quick Likewise. thoughts on the uh, the present engagement, Israel uh, fighting for its life and trying to blast uh, Hamas, the kingdom come, or you know, to the other side, and um, the re- international reaction to Israel and the way they're going about conducting their campaign right now against Hamas. Yeah, you know, they may win that battle, but they're screwing themselves on the bigger war. You know, they had a lot of support in the beginning, uh, and it gradually came down. And from a strategic standpoint, you can win territory, but if you don't win hearts and minds and you lose alliances, you're screwed. And they are surrounded by historical enemies that they were making diplomatic progress with. And, uh, you know, PR matters. Even in war. We're in a shoulda, woulda, coulda situation right now. And it's right. heartbreaking um, and just jaw-dropping. Um, the initial terror attack was October 7th. A merciless killing, uh, raping, which not enough has been said of that. All the children mutilated, killed, families. The slaughter that took place on October 7th. Uh, yep. The constant drumbeat of the casualties of war. Uh, in in Gaza, uh, that seems to drown out any and all references to that this day. From a shoulda, woulda, coulda perspective, just you know your ex- expertise at at Department of State and diplomacy and all that. What would you say to Benjamin Netanyahu? What would you say to the IDF and how to conduct uh, their necessary operations? Their goal is to root out and, and kill, destroy Hamas, which. You know, we I, I agree with that. I think the majority of people agree with it. you got to get rid of this terrorist organization. You're not going to change the mindset because they've got a whole generation that they need to erase because that hate, that anti-Semitism, it's already been uh, inculcated. Their brains have been washed. It, it, you got to start fresh with a new generation. I mean, what would you suggest to the IDF and to the Israeli government how to conduct their war against Hamas right now? You know, this is a war that everyone sees. We're in the day of social media, the day of globalization. And uh, going back to what I said, you might win the battle, but if you piss off everyone around you and you you make them into enemies because you don't, I'm not saying they should stop person, you know, with defending themselves, but they got to think a lot more strategically and long term. Is there anything that they can say that they can do to put some salve on the casualties of war, on the injuries as a result of all the bombing and the street-by-street fighting and the expected civilian casualties from all this? I mean, how do you do things? How do you do things different? 
You know, I think a smart ceasefire, even if the military builds up or the Hamas builds up, you're going to win a lot more hearts and minds if you let those people who are protesting against Hamas and, and Palestine, uh, if you are uh, letting children go, maybe you get a few of your hostages back so you show you're not a merciless person who thinks he needs to, you know, wipe out a generation of children. The only reason I would say that these radicals show up to negotiate anything and what these radicals at Hamas even consider letting go, even the baby, babies and, and women and old people, sick people that they have as hostage, the only reason they would show up at the table is by hurting them. Sadly, you got to hurt people around them as well. It's a no-win situation for Israel, it seems. Yeah, it really is a known situation for anyone. War always is. Uh, but, you, you know, I, I like to look at things from a standpoint of a box cutter. Stuff like this, AI, whatever. You can have a box cutter, and that box cutter can open a package for you that you've really been waiting for. And uh, on the other hand, that box cutter could cut one person. But if it's an overall strategy, macro strategy, well, 19 box cutters can kick off a global war on terror. And I think we need to keep sight of the bigger picture in the Middle East. We need to keep sight of Iranians and proxy wars that are playing out in Yemen. Uh, you know, it's not just Israel in danger from extremists. We're seeing it in other parts of the world. Just, I want to leave you with this final little thought and nugget. I think that Benjamin Netanyahu, IDF leadership at present in Israel, because it's because it is a no-win situation, like I told you, and so many, and I'd say a majority, for whatever reason, anti-Semitism, whatever they hate it, they hate Jews, they hate yeah. hate Israel, I, because it's a no-win situation. Well, why not just stay the course, put your head down, fight, kill Hamas wherever you can find them. Uh, they're going to hate you anyway, so you might as well put your head down as as long as you can. Stay the course and see if you can truly, at least that organization, try to eradicate and kill the overall majority of that organization. I'll give you the final uh, thought. On a tactical level, that makes sense to some people. Uh, like I said, you can win a battle and lose the war. Sure, they sure they wipe out Hamas in that area. But they're not wiping out all the extremists around them. Uh, the Green Berets were set up to win hearts and minds, right? That's ultimately what it is. It's Sun Tzu. Uh, you are going to make more enemies if you don't proceed in a smart way. And right now that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> that just, yeah. yeah. No one knows what that, yeah. It's, it's not problem. harm them, but yeah. you need to be smarter. No one knows what that smart way is. That's the problem. So stay the course. Hey, Ron, it's a pleasure speaking with you again. And you be Likewise. safe. We'll check in with you again. Uh, expert at U.S. Department of State, former special agent, Ron Holloway. This is The Sergio Show.